Hello there listener, hope you're an Android developer. Welcome back to episode 9, part 2. Our guest is still Alexei Zvetkov from Kotlin team at JetBrains. If you haven't listened to the first part yet, you should do that before continuing with this part because we are using some terminology that we have already explained and discussed. Just a note, we had some issues with PocketCast's Android app, which wasn't able to download our episode. Russell from the PocketCast team did some investigation and it turns out that it is an issue with Android 7 and Elliptic Curve, which we use for our TLS certificate on our server where we host the episode files. Good news, Artem has fixed that by using another algorithm. Thanks again, Russell, for your help. Well, Artem is not super happy about the change because the, the algorithm we use now is not considered as safe as the previous one we used before, but it works for now. For more information, feel free to ping Artem on Twitter. You can find his Twitter handle in the show notes. So let's continue our discussion with Alexei. This time we discuss the differences between alternative build systems like Buck, Basil, compared to the default build system really for Android development. Let's discuss just difference between uh, other build systems, like difference between Gradle and Buck, and why are everybody are so hyped about it? Well, I have checked out the most popular ones, at least for, for Android development, which was obviously Gradle, Buck, and Bazel. A surprising thing is that all three of them used actually Java. I was a little bit surprised that Java is that popular for build systems. For instance, Gradle has a lot of... It's cross-platform. Cross oh, yeah, yeah, true. Cross-platform is a good argument, yeah. Yeah, makes sense. But actually, I would expect that Gradle would use a lot less memory if it would not be written in Java because of the garbage collection. And also it would reduce a little bit the compilation or... Yeah, not compilation, but the, the Gradle build times in general. But anyway, that's not the biggest issue, I think. Uh, I don't think that the problem with Gradle is that it is written in Java. Java is generally more or less fast these days. Of course, it needs sometimes uh, to optimize the classes, but uh, when Gradle daemon is used, the problem is not with Java, I think. The problem is that uh, it takes some time to, for example, uh, perform the configuration and dependency resolution for each variant, for each project, even if you don't really need it. Uh, so you may want to build just one variant, but it configures and resolves the dependencies for each of your variant, and it can take some time. It will be fixed in Android plugin 2.5, I think. They want to, to make uh, the dependency resolution lazy, so it will only be performed during the execution time. I don't know how it will be done, but at least an Android blog says uh, that they're going to do it. Also, other build tools such as Buck and Bazel cut on, on incremental build by caching, caching build results. They also can understand when Java API, whether Java API of your dependencies is changed or not and skip building of the module 
if its dependencies are not changed, but Gradle also can do it since version 3.4, I think it is called compile avoidance. Gradle also will have build cache as well in version, well, in 3.5, they have added an experimental support for it. Yeah, they have rewritten their current build cache implementation, and I think it will be the default one starting with Gradle 4.0. Probably it's a good idea to take a step back and explain briefly how Buck and Basil work under the hood. Yeah. I did some research, and Buck and Basil work very similar to Gradle, except the execution files. So, short recap. Gradle has this configuration file where it builds the graph of tasks that are executed afterwards during the execution phase. So Buck internally builds a directed acyclic graph. Such a graph has no circular dependencies, so there can't be an endless loop when traversing such a graph. You can think of such a graph such as a tree structure with nodes, and a node in such a tree is basically a task that should be executed and a node is connected with other nodes, which basically represents some kind of parent-child relations. Or in terms of a build system, a task depends on another task. So we have this data structure, it's tree-alike, and represents which task should be executed after another. So basically it represents the dependencies. Also, this is a directed graph, which means that all dependencies are going in one direction. So you have a clear parent-child relation without cycles. So why is that important? Well, with such a data structure, you have nodes that are leaves, leaf nodes. By using that direct that acyclic graph, Buck is able to execute tasks in parallel by using all your CPU cores. Internally, Buck has a thread pool with threads waiting to execute tasks. Buck also has a queue containing tasks that are waiting to be executed. Mm -hmm. As mentioned before, in such a directed acyclic graph, there are leaf nodes, and a node represents a task. So Buck starts by putting the leaf nodes into the queue. Whenever a thread of the thread pool is ready, it takes the next task out of the queue and executes this task. Um, if you have a task X, and that task has two child tasks, task A and task B. In other words, task X depends on task A and task B, which means task A and task B have to run before task X, right? Mm -hmm. So if only those three tasks would be all the tasks we have to run or to compile our project, then task A and task B are leaves in this directed acyclic graph. So as said before, Buck would put task A and task B into the internal queue because those are the leaves where the algorithm starts. Then the thread pool, let's say we have a size of four threads waiting to execute um, tasks from the queue. We take task A and task B from the queue and execute them both in parallel. Um, let's say that executing task A just takes a second and executing task B takes 10 seconds. So task A has finished after one second. Then it signals to his parent, which is task X, that task A has finished. However, task X is not ready yet to be put on the queue because task X has to wait until task B is finished, right? 
which happened yet. So once task B is finished, task X knows that all of his dependencies are completed. And then task X can be put on the queue and executed by the thread pool whenever the next thread is idle, which in this stupid simple example would mean it would be executed immediately. That's basically how the algorithm works. It traverses the graphs from the leaf nodes to the root nodes. Remember, when I say node, I mean a task that should be executed. In back, those things are called build rules. And like in Gradle, you can define your own build rules to build your project, like compile Java sources of a module A, compile sources of a module B, and so on. Oh, and yeah, by the way, Buck assumes that you organize your source code into multiple tiny modules, so, so that in this directed acyclic graph, there are a lot of things that can run in parallel. The next thing to improve build performance is, as you have already mentioned, caching the result of a task. So a cache entry obviously has a key and a value. The result of a task, like the compiled Java code, uh, I mean the, bytecode, the Java bytecode, is the value. So, but what is the key of such a ca cache entry? And Buck takes a lot of things into account to generate a key. For example, let's say we have a module containing some Java source code, then Buck will take the content of all input files to generate the unique key, like all Java source code files, but also the build file containing all the build rules to build this module. So when Buck takes a task out of the waiting queue to run this task, it first computes the key, which is, as already said, the content of all input files, and checks if the cache um, has a result already cached. So we try to hit the cache. If we hit the cache, then obviously we can use this result directly and don't execute the task. Mm -hmm. If no cache entry has been found, then Buck executes the task and puts the result of the task in the cache afterwards. The important bit here is that if you change a source file or a build rule of a module, then the computed key is different from the one last time you run this task. And therefore, Buck doesn't hit the cache. So whenever you change a file, the cache is not hit anymore. That is really useful. For instance, if you switch branch in Git, in a Git repository, like from master to a feature development branch, the cache is still valid. And when Buck runs, it computes the key and hits or misses the cache because the key of the cache entry may have changed because the content has been changed while switching branch or whatever. Mm -hmm. That means that you basically have never to run um, build clean or, or like you would do in Gradle or clean your cache and so on. So Basil works similar to back. You have a directed acyclic graph, cache and so on. Oh, by the way, Basil is a build system developed by Google. The current version as April 2017 is 0.5 and yeah, Buck is built by Facebook. We, I have, haven't mentioned that before. So the main difference between Buck and Bazel is that Buck doesn't support incremental compilation because Bazel is super good at incremental compilation. For instance, if you start a new project in Gradle and Android Studio, you have by default one module called app typically. 
and you put your whole source code in this module, right? Buck doesn't like that. Buck always recompiles all your source files again. No incremental compilation. It recompiles all your source files from your module. Yeah. But Buck assumes that you have very small modules, so compilation doesn't work too long because there are not many source files to compile and therefore incremental compilation, according to Buck philosophy, is not needed at all. Basel, on the other hand, runs fully incremental and this incremental system works really well. In fact, it works that well that suddenly building your APK is no longer the bottleneck of your development cycle. Suddenly, transferring your APK to your device over ADB is the bottleneck. And Basil Android plugin has a solution for that problem called incremental file transfer. The idea is simple. Since Basil is incremental, it is incremental when compiling classes, it is incremental when merging Android resources, it is incremental while DEXing, and so on. So it's really, really incremental all the way down. And that has the advantage that Bazel knows exactly which file has changed and which outputs are affected by this change. So instead of pushing the whole APK every time you do a Bazel Android build, Bazel can just transfer those parts of the APK file that has been changed. Well, not Bazel, but this Bazel Android plugin is doing that. For example, instead of a, let's say, 20 megabyte APK file that is pushed to your Android device every time you build um, your, APK, your app. Bazel Android plugin detects the changed parts of the APK file and just transfers the pieces, let's say a chunk of one megabyte to your device. Um, Bazel does some clever things here internally. For example, a traditional Android APK ships with a DEX file where all your methods and classes are indexed, right? We all know about this 64k DEX limit, right? Mm -hmm. Also an APK file, also a APK file traditionally contains one single jar file with all your compiled bytecode. So what Basil Android plugin does is instead of having one jar, it splits your compiled code into shards and builds for each shard a single jar. Instead of one big jar, Basil produces basically multiple small, small jars. And for each jar, it creates a DEX file. So instead of one single DEX file, this plugin for Basil generates a DEX file for each of these jar files. So the challenging thing is to break your application into shards so that when you change one file, it doesn't affect a lot of shots, but ideally just one shot. Bazel uses the package name to distribute source code almost equally even across multiple shots. For example, let's say we have an app project with a lot of classes and so on. Let's say that there is a class A. So if we change code in class A, Bazel is able to just recompile class A Furthermore, it knows that class A is part of this shard, which generates the jar number one. So basically it will just rebuild uh, class A and the jar, num the jar file number one. Furthermore, it knows that there is a dex file number one generated for jar file number one. So it has to run 
only on the on that jar file again and basically then just transfers with this incremental file transfer plugin um, the jar file number one and the dex file number one over adb to your android device instead of your big apk so obviously someone has to put all these pieces transferred incrementally to your android device together to be able to kind of reassemble a running apk basil installs a so-called application stub on your device which does exactly that so overall it's similar to instant run but instead of pushing bytecode changes as instant run does basil just incremental uh, transfers the changed files and then they are reassembled into one apk again and so the application stuff can run your app maybe it's also worth to talk a little bit how or what strategies are to make a build system in general faster so one is parallelizing tasks obviously caches can speed up your Caching the outputs speed up your build times a lot and working incrementally, which means only execute that task or compile that source files that are affected by a file by a change. Um, maybe we should touch briefly the three common strategies for incremental builds. As you have already said, compile avoidance is one. For example, let's say we have a project we want to build consisting of two modules, let's say module A containing a class A and module B containing a class B. Class A depends on class B, meaning that class A calls a method of class B. So in class A, we have something like b.foo, so invoking the method foo of class B. So compile avoidance means that if I change something in module A, then only module A has to be rebuilt and compiled, but not module B, because I haven't changed anything in class B. I just have changed something in class A. So please only rebuild or recompile module A. And before Gradle 3.4, Gradle hasn't had uh, support for compile avoidance. Back and Basil have compile avoidance support. The next thing or the next strategy for incremental builds is ABI usage detection. I'm not sure what ABI stands for, ABI means public API, basically. Ah, okay. Yeah, what it means is usage detection of public API. Um, so back to our previous example. If class B has a method foo and class R calls this method foo, whenever I just change the method body of foo, a build system which supports ABI usage detection, recognizes that the public API of Bay hasn't changed at all. It's just the method body which has changed. So we haven't changed the method signature of foo. We just have changed the implementation details in the method body of foo. So that means class A doesn't need to be recompiled at all because from, from module A or class A's point of view, nothing has changed. The public ABI is still the same as before. So only module B and class B has to be recompiled and not module A2. Gradle doesn't have ABI usage support uh, yet. 
I'm not sure if they will add it in 3.5 or 4.0. Buck and if I remember correctly, Basil have support for ABI usage changes. And the last uh, thing to speed up or to improve incremental build is by supporting incremental compilation for source files, which Gradle supports since 3.4. Buck, as already mentioned before, doesn't support incremental compi compilation and Basil also supports incremental compilation as far as I know. So comparing Gradle with Buck and Basil in, as today in April 2017, Gradle 3.4 and Android Gradle plugin 2.3 cannot run tasks in parallel. Each task must run after each other. Buck and Basil can run in parallel. And caching is also not as advanced as, for instance, Buck's build cache. But it seems that Gradle will address these issues in 3.5 or 4.0. If I told something wrong, please correct me. Um, well, great. great. Uh, you, you, you aren't exactly right. Gradle can paralyze the task on the basis on, on the project on the basis of the pro projects right so if uh, your projects are independent it can build them in parallel oh yeah it can build modules in parallel but it cannot execute tasks in parallel right in in the same project yes in the same project yeah yeah and that's something where what Buck and basil actually can because they have a this this idea of this uh, directed acyclic graph where they started the leaves and then they know exactly how they depend each other and how they could parallelize them and build them in on multiple threads simultaneously. Well, Gradle also knows it, but the the problem is that uh, you don't only need to know uh, the structure because um, Gra Gradle. Model is also uh, dead, so uh, it is also it also does not have uh, doesn't have cycles. Yeah, mm -hmm. it, it knows about task dependencies and etc. But first of all, Gradle uh, does not always know whether is uh, it is safe or not to execute mm -hmm. task in parallel. Also, there are a lot of ways in which tasks running in parallel can mess uh, with the Gradle state. So mm -hmm. they need to, um, in theory, they could, of course, run tasks in parallel, but they need to correctly understand when it is possible or not. Mm -hmm. Because Gradle is very dynamic and flexible, and all tasks basically have access to to the project to, object. To, to, to all internal state and they mm -hmm. can mutate it. It isn't always thread safe. So Gradle API is not always thread safe right, at this yeah. point, as far as I know. Uh, but since Buck and Basil are less dynamic and flexible, they of course can offer some more some more parallel execution. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think that Gradle is working, uh, Gradle yeah. team is working on making parallel builds more scalable. Yeah. But it features some kind of parallelization uh, at this point already. Okay, yeah, that, that, I wasn't aware of that. That's, that's a good point to point out. So 
Another thing, as you have already mentioned, is that the cash strategy Gradle has used wasn't that, let's say, good. Uh, they try to, to rewrite them because that makes a, lot, a huge difference. Also with Buck, you can kind of create a remote cache. I think it's also possible with Bazel, but I'm not 100% sure. So It's also possible with new Gradle build yeah, cache as, as well. Yeah, right. But that's at least for now with 3.5 experimental and you have to enable yes. it explicitly. Yes, and and Kotlin does not support it as well. <laughs> oh. But we will at some point. Okay. Yeah, but what I wanted to say is, for instance, if you work in a, in a larger company, like let's say Facebook, <laughs> or not even that large, if, if you compile a new module or whatever, you can actually put that artifact that comes out, that compiled uh, code, uh, that compiled um, executable or artifact or whatever, into a remote cache. And then all your coworkers can basically download that already compiled um, artifact and don't have to compile them um, manually during their, their back builds or basic builds. I think that's something Gradle is also now going into this direction to speed up builds a lot. I think that caching is a huge win uh, or a huge um, performance improvement factor. I think it can also be useful at least for some feature branches on uh, continuous integration servers. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's right or not ideal. Uh, from ideological point of view, but we can notice that you have a lot of builds on your continuous integration servers, and they basically build the same thing many times. Mm -hmm. So I personally think that these build caches can be useful, maybe at least for some build configurations. Of course, I think that the main configuration should always be built from the scratch, but m maybe, I, I don't know, I I'm not sure if it's a r right or wrong idea, but I think it would be cool, at least for some large projects, because, for example, with Kotlin, it's very painful to see that there are many branches uh, the developers uh, remotely run on continuous integration server, and they take like maybe four hours to build and run all the tests, but they, a, a lot of subsystems they're building, a lot of models they're building, they are basically the same. So for example, you haven't changed uh, a compiler, but you only changed, uh, uh, let's say, IDE plugin or Gradle plugin that depends on the compiler. So uh, when you, run remotely. I think it would be cool uh, that your feature branch uh, would not build the compiler module, for example, and only build and run tests on the, on the modules that you have actually changed. Mm -hmm. I think it, it would be cool for some project at least. Maybe, yeah. maybe it's not the right idea though, I don't know. Well, at least that's also something both Buck and Basil claim as, as a promise, like we always give you reproducible and uh, correct uh, builds or something like that. Yes, yes. If they know exactly all inputs and outputs of the build, they can, of course, do it. Yeah, that's actually one of the downsides, um, for instance, with, with Basil. 
you really have to declare all your source files in your base, in your in your script, um, in your Basel script. Oh, and by the way, Basel scripts are written in some kind of subset of Python. I'm actually not sure what bug language. I don't know. It's some kind of own. Oh, I'm not sure. But yeah, that's that's the downside. So you have to declare or give the the build system a lot of information so that it can really run the, all these incremental things really really fast and efficiently. Uh, I I heard uh, it is quite similar with the bug, but um, there is a cool project. I haven't used it because uh, we don't have some big Gradle projects mm -hmm. or Android projects uh, at this time. Uh, but there is a cool project from the Uber, uh, oh, which yeah. is called, uh, uh, as far as I remember, OKBug OK or something. Mm -hmm. It's a Gradle plugin uh, that can generate bug files. And then you just can use it because bug files also are also verbose, but you can generate with this plugin and mm -hmm. it works well for the Uber, at least. In the same time, I think that uh, sometime in the future, Gradle can have a similar performance to the bug because of the improvements like cache and because of the improvements from the Android plugin. So it might not be that interesting in the future to use the alternative build system if you are not mm -hmm. working in Facebook or Google, but for now you you, you could try using OKBug, for example, and compare it. Yeah, at this point we should mention that our friends from the Fragmentant podcast, Kaushik Gopal and Don Felker, had an episode uh, explicitly about Bug and OKBug. Uh, so probably we should add a link to the to the show notes. So you should check that out if you are more interested or would like to go more in detail with the Bug build system. Yeah. Okay, is there anything else left? Artem, do you have any f other questions or anything to add? Uh, yeah, so uh, basically I think the idea of Bach is uh, almost completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, so uh, listen to that. Uh, I, I have a theory. <laughs> so in Kotlin, uh, there is an incremental compilation which we're working for like a year or more in Gradle with experimental flags but we've used it for quite a long time and it's now stable and enabled by default and until we switch to uh, Kotlin annotation processor to version 3 we were able to see six second build times uh, of the APK after the change in the source code do you really need Buck and all this messy configuration setup that you have to go through and lose the good Android Studio support? I don't actually think so because the problem that Buck is trying to solve is that a built system like Gradle didn't have good Java incremental compilation and the ideology of Buck is to split your program into many, many, many little modules and you will only rebuild the modules that you've changed. But don't you already have that modularization in Java, for instance? You have packages, you have class files, you, you have everything already, right? So 
they have gone into more of a basil-like uh, architecture and do not uh, uh, like do not force you to to divide your app into more folder structures, right? Because it's just duplicating and I like the idea of Bazel, and I also think that in the end, Gradle will actually win because Bazel and Bach, as you both guys said, are not that flexible, not that dynamic. You basically have to hard code the the all the uh, tasks and all the Rules. files or relations between them and all that stuff into the DSL they provide. And it's that bad that guys from Uber had to write Gradle plugin to do that. Because in Gradle, it's like uh, yeah. 200 lines of code. And in Bach, it's like 20,000 lines of code of, of, yeah. of the DSL that is basically provides the same functionality that, that Gradle build script allows you to do. So I think it's great that we have Bach and Bazel. Because in the end, Gradle will steal all their features, all their good features, without uh, making us to add more and more modules, just to add more modules, just to fix the problem of, of the build system. If, if you guys at JetBrains will fix incremental compilation of annotation processing, no one will need Buck or Bazel for, for, <laughs> for, for Kotlin projects, at least. I mean, in our project, we have about 85 thousands of lines of, of Kotlin code, only Kotlin. And about a half of them are unit tests. And if you change, if you do the change only in unit tests, and in unit tests we don't use annotation processing, it always takes about six seconds to compile. Six seconds. It's mm -hmm. amazing. And the more Gradle will improve their configuration time and all this stuff, we will probably see two seconds or one second you will probably spend more time on, on hitting that HTTP cache that Buck or Bazel provide, right? So with good incremental compilation support provided both from uh, compiler and build system integration for, for this compiler, I'm not sure going into hundreds and then thousands modules in, in one application is, is a good choice. So mm. that's, that's my opinion. Yeah, let me just add uh, one or two sentences about that. But sure. then I would like to hear Alexei um, speaking about what is actually that hard about incremental uh, annotation processing. Um, but uh, let me just add one thing. I mean, you are right that with the most things you said, although I think Buck did a great job so far, I mean, we have experimented with Buck something like two years ago when it really, or th maybe three years when it has been announced by, by Facebook. And it was, it was out of the world kind of regarding speed compared to, to, to Gradle. And then we migrated to Buck, but then, oh, back then Android Studio was also something like 0 0.5 or something like that. It wasn't even a 1.0 stable version of Android Studio released. But then also Buck had, as you always said, a lot of manual configuration to do, and it was really cumbersome to, to work with. It has been improved, and also you also had to download dependency in your local uh, Git repository and commit it along the way, and so on. Exactly, that like is, what the, I mean, it's 2000, like what, 15 was that? Yeah, but that has been changed in the meantime, as far okay. as I know. Okay. 
but uh, I don't but think yeah, so. Okay, Bach downloads them. Oh, probably yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, probably okay. But that's that. Um, but then we switch back to Gradle again, and now two years later, God, our build times went from I don't know as our app also grows from from six minutes to twelve minutes or something like that. Jesus. And if I yeah, if I calculate all the time we have saved with sticking with Buck, I'm not sure from uh, from a business point of view if that was the right decision to to change from from Buck. I mean, if Gradle really gets there, what you said, and win the the game and really improves all those things which are coming with 3.5 and so on, so on, and also the Android Gradle plugin will be improved, um, then I think Gradle is good. Yeah. But until now, or as it is today, I'm a fan of Basil, to be honest. I'm really thinking about migrating to Basil. You're a monster. <laughs> Can I insert my two cents? Yeah, uh, please, oh, sure. Please do, yeah. First of all, uh, you'll need to understand that Buck and Basil are not kind of universal build system for general audience. Mm -hmm. They are built, first of all, to solve the need of Facebook and Google. They both yeah. have big monolith repository with hundreds and thousands of modules in different languages. Cool. And so for their scale, the idea of both Bach and Basil works quite good, mm -hmm. I think. Uh, I don't think that Gradle uh, will ever uh, be able to, uh, to solve the scale maybe maybe in some time but not in the near future not probably with future. remote cache it will be and configuration timer i'm not sure because gradle is very flexible and this flexibility comes with a price mm, uh, yeah. when we told we are talking about normal projects like maybe hundreds or maybe a thousand of modules it can be more or less okay but when we are talking about the scale of the Facebook, they may not need this kind of flexibility, uh, but they need to be able to build their huge projects. Also, they do have a need to do it uh, in the cloud. They, as far as I know, both of these companies are making distributed builds. Uh, but most developers uh, don't have that scale and that. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, the, the, exactly. the need for the distributed builds. They also yeah. d don't usually have a cluster of computers for free that they can build on. <laughs> uh, so they might prefer this flexibility and conciseness of the Gradle, but. Of course, Gradle builds, especially for Android, needs some some love. <laughs> uh, the, uh, and both Gradle and Android team acknowledge it, and they are going to improve it. Uh, yeah. be because in in general, uh, Gradle works quite good even now, but not for Android. Because yeah. uh, when I'm building a project from our users sometimes or some open source android project that's a hell of a slow the the build builds are really quite painful because you you have just like uh, i don't know maybe one or two modules and maybe 
a few thousand lines of code and it takes like what a minute and some time ago it was even slower that due to to dex basically yeah yeah no not not only dex somewhere like maybe a year or a year and a half ago the gradle uh, itself was quite slow so configurations uh, have noticeably improved uh, yeah, during true. the last year they have made some optimizations so i think now but 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 yeah android adds additional additional costs due to dexing and probably uh due to a lot of variants uh that they they have mm -hmm. yeah and also with the new gradle 3.5 parallelism um, improvements i think the android plugin can imp improve a lot of things regarding compilation time and as you already have said, yeah, it's it's a little bit unfair to to claim that Gradle is slow because it's a little bit an issue with the Android Gradle plugin on the way Android has to compile all its resources, its manifest merger, its AAPT, its Dexing, and so on. By the way, at this moment, uh, Dexing is not incremental in mm -hmm. Gradle Android plugins, so it starts and makes uh, the full job every time. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, they're going to improve it in Android plugin 2.5. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's also something Buck uh, ships yeah. with its own dexing algorithm, dexing thing, and also Bazel supports incremental dexing as far as I know. I'm not sure how they do it. Uh, they, they are able to do it somehow and to, 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 sh to upload all uh, only. Uh, that's what I meant with the incremental file transfer. They, they only have to transfer the the change dex file and not one giant dex file with all the things in there. Well, to be fair, if you set minus the K of your app to 21 or above, yeah. Gradle will also split uh, your APK into many dex files, like about 100 yeah, if, if possible. So, Well, I, I, I thought about, uh, and I was talking about uh, transforming uh, class files to dex files. Yeah, right, right. It's already, by the way, you can try it in uh, Gradle, Android Gradle plugin 2.5 early mm -hmm. access preview. They already ship some kind of uh, incremental dexing support, but not, not for all the cases, but uh, you can try it. The problem with Gradle, I think, is that due to its flexibility and because of Groovy, oh god, I mean, <laughs> Groovy is so uh, uh, so the problem, I think, is mainly uh, because with Gradle, it's very easy to, to break incrementability of your build. For instance, in our project, I pay a lot of attention to, to make sure that we, by adding new plugins or by, by customizing the build somehow, we are not breaking incrementability of the build. Even if you, for instance, put something like... Uh, build date with time into uh, build config fields in, in your mm -hmm. build type or something, it will cause a regeneration of build config.java file, which will cause compilation of uh, Java sources and so on. So you have to pay extra attention with Gradle to, in order to make sure that you are not breaking incrementability. And when you do so, you will actually be very, very close to current state of, of Puck or Bazel. With 2.5. Oh, yeah, with 2.5 of Android plugin yeah. and and 3.5 of Gradle itself. But I mean, even with current versions, it's, it's very fast. And 
on the other hand, Basil and Buck force you, to, you, you basically, for instance, in Buck, you're very limited in their DSL. You, you can't script just like put, put the Git SHA somewhere in my build mm -hmm. or something because the DSL is static and that, that's the cost of the, of the bug performance for, for the build configuration. So, I mean, it's achievable with Gradle. But yeah, it's like it's very easy to shoot yourself in the foot uh, because of uh, Gradle Groovy and, and all the dynamic features. It's not that it is about Groovy. It's yeah, about, I mean, it's more yeah, about it's more uh, about Gradle. the flexibility uh, and mutability of the Gradle model and API. Itself. Right, right, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. By the way, Basil strictly use immutable types all all the way in their build system. Which is a great move anyway. <laughs> well, yeah. except list or, or map or dictionary or something like that. So that you can script your Python build, Python-like um, build scripts a little bit. But apart from that, all internals are immutable as far as I know. Mm -hmm. If you are using Kotlin, then try to use as much uh, memory for the build <laughs> if, uh, <laughs> as you can. <laughs> uh, because uh, th that can really improve the build if you have too little uh, because right now we are very hungry for the memory we are working mm -hmm. on optimizing the compiler but it's hard to predict uh, how how it will work out um, i just want to say that for example uh, recently i have experimented a bit with running uh, our compiler um, on our code base with different XMX uh, parameters mm -hmm. and uh, there was a noticeable improvement um, when I gave it two or three gigabytes of RAM. <laughs> um, Is there an option for the Kotlin compiler daemon? Or uh, it's for Gradle it, itself should be? So. Well, it inherits a oh, settings. Okay. It forks it, right? It forks, yeah, yeah from mm -hmm. Gradle process, and it inherits the memory settings uh, from um, Org Gradle JVM Arcs uh, system property. Mm -hmm. Great. But there is also some uh, there is also some way to have uh, separate limits. For Kotlin Daemon, I don't remember them uh, now, but I can, I can, I don't know, <laughs> send it at least to you uh, in chat. We probably have it. At least we it. will know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we will have uh, fast as good. Uh, no, it's, it, it, it is maybe documented somewhere. I need to check it. But yeah, there is a way to have a separate memory limits for Kotlin Daemon. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is a bit sad, of course, that... That uh, you have to do this. Yeah, that... I, I mean, in a more general sense, that nowadays software uses so much resources, uh, like RAM. Uh, mm. I mean, I can't live with... 8 gigabytes of RAM nowadays. Uh, with 16, it's more or less okay. I have 32 gigabytes on my working machine. And 
it works pretty well, but yeah, that like the browser, it's uh, a few gigabytes of RAM, then Gradle built Android Studio, everyone wants mm. to eat as much RAM as possible. Yeah, that was my, my thought earlier when I said probably that could, at least the garbage collection could be improved when they wouldn't have been written in, in Java or depending on, on the JVM. But it's mainly the responsibility of the developer of the, to not be that resource hungry. But yeah. Yeah, it's, it's probably not because of the garbage collection. For instance, Go has garbage collection, but it's pretty low memory footprint. Yeah. It's probably due to structure of, of Java classes and uh, Java... I don't think it's fair to compare uh, different languages. Uh, I mean, <laughs> usually there are different programs written in this language, so we, we cannot compare the same program. We, don't, we just don't have the same programs uh, true, to true. compare o often. Of course, we can write some benchmarks, but benchmarks lie. <laughs> So uh, it, yeah. it, it's, I, I don't think it's fair to compare. Usually we trade off our flexibility as a developers, our ability to move faster for, yeah, for CPU resources, RAM. True. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, okay, I think that's it. Oh, no, I, I wanted to, to ask Alexei what the issue is with annotation processing and incremental builds. Yeah, it just needs to be done. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but is is it possible? I, I, the, I don't know. Running the annotation processors itself cannot uh, be made incremental at all. But yeah, right. we can uh, make it incremental in a sense that we can skip it when yes, please, public please. API <laughs> uh, have not been changed. And also, we need to build the model for the annotation processors. And this model can also be built incrementally. So, of course, we can make these improvements and we will make them, I think, in quite near future, but they are not done yet. That, that was the purpose of, of this episode, actually, to, <laughs> to tell you once more time <laughs> that it's very, very much wanted, by, at least by our two teams, because currently... If you change some source file in the in our application, and it doesn't have any annotations, like not only annotations that invoke annotation percentage, like no annotations at all, and we will still see uh, KAPT uh, task taking like about ten or fifteen seconds, and then incremental Kotlin compilation will kick off and do its job in like six or. 10 seconds. Wait, so, so you are saying that even if... Uh, yeah, not completely model... not related uh, classes to, to annotation processes are changed, we are seeing KAPT taking a lot of time. Oh, yeah. I can, I can uh, submit an information into the ticket that is already created if you need it. Oh, okay. But, but that's be... basically what we see. It might be useful. Yeah, because in unit tests, we don't have KAPT step, and any change we do, it takes about 6 or 10 seconds to compile all incrementally. Okay, uh, please submit it, uh, at sure. least to track the progress. Uh, we, we, by the way, uh, we are always uh, happy uh, to have a feedback if you have 
any issues please create uh, create a ticket that that is preferable uh, it's okay to write at least something uh, if the issue is duplicated or it is impossible to make or it works as designed we will close it of course but uh, it's really okay because I often feel like a lot of people uh, have experienced some problems with incremental compilation for example and somehow they don't want to share it <laughs> at least somewhere usually because it's hard to, to extract it to reproducible sample well usually what would we do we we did submit uh, some amount of tickets against incremental compilation when it was in experimental in Gradle uh, Kotlin plugin. And usually what we did to uh, steps in order where we should submit ticket or not is we try to calculate, at least I <laughs> try to uh, extrapolate like uh, amount of time that we will lose if we don't report this issue and it will like stay in, in Kotlin for months or something and or amount of time that I or someone else have to spend to, to actually create the ticket. So usually it, it's better to submit the ticket as soon as you detected something because later on it will be probably like a snowball problem for the project when they will have some mixed issues combined together so it will be harder to solve if they well, don't know about well it later. at least when you are seeing that uh, annotation processing runs when it shouldn't because it is tests that don't use annotation processing i i think it, it's a problem and for example i didn't know about this problem when you shared it with me uh, i can at least think about it uh, and I think it's pretty important problem I just haven't thought about it before I don't know when, when when you see something strange I mean it's obvious when you see compile errors that something is wrong uh, but when you see something definitely strange like a build suddenly taken forever to compile or uh, some kind of of things like capped running when it should not. Uh, it's always good to submit at least for us to know that th there is a problem. Sure, yeah. We, we did, but I'll add more info to this ticket. Of, co of course, it, it takes some time to create a ticket. Yeah, I <laughs> agree with that. Yeah, my take on that is you, for instance, uh, as a member of JetBrain, have provided us with Kotlin basically for free. Exactly. then it's not too much to ask to file a bug uh, report and to file an issue and to provide sample application or whatever to reproduce this issue. It's That's not only for Kotlin, do. it's on basically every open source project where people do that for free for you to simplify your life and then it's the minimum you can do to file an issue. Okay. Yes. yes. I think that's, that's it. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to, to say that, okay, I, I'm not a bug hater, but I'm a hater of, <laughs> I mean, it, may, it might sound that I, I really hate the bug itself, but I hate not the bug itself, but ideology that, <laughs> I mean, who, who the hell on earth would split, for instance, uh, uh, 
some screen from your app into separate module to, just to make your build faster. Don't better to submit a ticket into Gradle that <laughs> I mean, that if I move those five classes to separate model, I will get a faster build. Probably better fix incremental calculation rather. Than well, uh, the thing is that incremental compilation is always language specific. The model yes. bug has uh, is very universal. So uh, again, they are solving their specific problems. They have a lot of lang different languages they need to build and splitting things into modules is something you can do in almost any language. So uh, they can scale uh, this way. And it's actually very reasonable uh, for the scale that they have. For the structure of their projects, like they have Again, a lot of languages, different. A lot libraries. of employees. Libraries, employees, yeah. So. And I also think they can uh, avoid a lot of merge conflicts by splitting projects or part of the app or even screens of the app into a lot of standalone modules, kind of, so that they mm -hmm. don't have merge conflicts to resolve at all. I, I, I think that uh, splitting into modules is not that important for the build si uh, for uh, version control system. I think yeah, yeah. Uh, that splitting into source files <laughs> uh, yeah. is useful, but splitting yeah. uh, uh, the, the project into many modules, I think does not help these merge conflicts at all. Yeah, you're, you're right. I, I should have said source into source files, not into modules. Yeah, into source files, yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, you, you, you both guys right. It works for their scale, but I don't see the point in splitting simple Android app into 100 models because it's just crazy. It doesn't make mm -hmm. sense. <laughs> well, we do the same. We use a monorepo, but that's, I think, a, a discussion that would be going out of scope of this episode and probably worth its episode for its own. But we oh, actually yes. do the same and get some speed improvements and so on. But as I said, that's that's another discussion. I think. Okay. Well, uh, how how big is your monorepo <laughs> compared oh. to the Facebook's one? <laughs> I don't know how large Facebook ones is, but I'm I'm sure that we are not we have thousand times smaller than Facebook's code base. But I don't have any numbers. But we have, I think. I'm not sure how many lines of code and how many source files, but we have about 50 modules going, no, about 100 modules actually, I think, something like that. And we actually saw quite a speed improvement for the, for the first 10, um, let's say, for the first 10 modules, because mm -hmm. then compiled times really went down. But on the other hand, then configuration time went up, at least with Gradle. Yeah, yeah. And but the decision behind monorepo was another thing, another another um, problem we tried to solve, which is um, using versions of the same library, which is also now part of this monorepo across all apps we use. So we have monorepo for all our apps, and yeah, and there are about one hundred models or something like that, which are libraries, which are apps, which are basically all our Android code in this monorepo. But it's not only because of the compile times or build times. It was mainly because of versioning the dependencies um, yeah, between each app. Well, that, that is actually, in my opinion, 
the only reason to, to go mine Rico when you have lots of libraries and you don't want to depend on yeah. a specific version because updating a library in 100 other projects would be really pain in, in the Yeah, but it's not only about refactoring from the IDE or something like that. It's like, imagine you have a library like where you have your base activity or something like that. I'm, I'm pretty sure almost everybody has something like that. And then you use this base activity for your app A and you're for your app B. Yeah. And if you don't have them in a monorepo and to change something in the base activity, which is in a library, then probably it works in app A, but it doesn't work in app B anymore. But you don't get that. You don't get any compile errors. You don't get any, well, you actually any errors at can. all. It actually crashes at runtime. Yeah. Um, that's okay. something we, we solved with this monorepo good, good. approach. But you can actually try to set up CI so it will will yeah. build everything, but you will not have monorepo. But yeah, we hard. tried that. I'm, I'm not saying that monorepo is the solution for, for, for the problem. Probably there are, as you have said, CI things. We tried that. It worked, but it also was a lot of, yeah, it's let's hard. say, yeah, a lot of effort we have to put in to make it workable somehow. But again... You can't really refactor things out of the box. You have to open each repository yeah. in, in Android Studio, step over all compile errors to to change the things you have touched in your base activity or something like that. Um, yeah, that was really cumbersome. Yeah, that is a problem. Okay, I think we should stop now. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, we will talk for hours and hours. Uh, do you have something to discuss? No, please. <laughs> It's already two hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's too late to ask that. Now. Yeah, so should we wrap it up? Yeah, I think many thanks to you, Alexei, for, for joining us today. That was a very... What I like about Russians, uh, no offense, Hannes, you're actually <laughs> very good at that too. We are not afraid of telling what we think and just not agreeing with everything blindly, at least in, as a public opinion so yeah. it was great alexi that you did all all this uh, fixes and correctness of our all of the things we were saying <laughs> thank you and thank you for diving deep into details of uh, how the build system and, and kotlin integrates with each other yeah so and it a was a big pleasure. thank for for open sourcing kotlin and yes yes it's great and oh and and incremental compilation in kotlin is awesome i love it <laughs> Six seconds for for tens of thousands of lines. It's awesome. Okay, uh, thank you guys too for inviting me. Uh, I don't know if um, I was clear enough in describing how, for example, incremental compilation works. It was harder than I thought it would be. I, I don't know if your listeners would enjoy listening to me, but I have enjoyed uh, talking to you. Uh, that was quite awesome. Uh, okay, thank you guys. Uh, that was interesting. Uh, I, I learned something new about Basil and Buck, for example. So, thank you. Goodbye. Yeah. Bye, Alexei. Thank you, Hannes. Yeah. And thank you, listeners, for keeping through this almost two hours episode. I'm stopping the recording. <laughs>